This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 18, Episode 25. This is Writing Excuses. To narrator or not to narrator. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Dong Wan. I'm Aaron. I'm Dan. And I'm Howard. And we are going to talk about narrators today. We had a moment in the last episode uh, where I said that Forgotten doesn't have a narrator, and Mary Robinette said, yes, it does. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about that difference. Uh, There are um, a lot of audio things. As audio becomes a much bigger part of the market, uh, people are starting to play with the form a little. We're starting to see full cast audio a lot more than we used to. We're starting to see a lot of different things. Uh, So there are full audio dramas, radio dramas, and then there are dramatized audio books, and they use narrators differently. Yeah. So when you're thinking about an audiobook. An audiobook is something that was written for prose, for for print, not necessarily prose, but written for print, and then is read aloud. A dramatized book is something that, or a full cast, let me step first, you have full cast where you have multiple voices instead of a single narrator. Then you have dramatized audio, which is usually full cast and then sound effects, And then you move over to radio plays, which uh, come from the stage side into the audio realm. So in those cases, you are dispensing with all of the basic conventions that come out of novels, short stories, and you're starting with more stage and cinema conventions and moving in. And there's some overlap in between, but those are, that's kind of your, your, your basic range. Yeah, and th- these are not uh, necessarily very clear-cut categories. There's a lot of play in between them. Um, but, for example, if you go and listen to I Am Not a Serial Killer, that is a narrator reading the book. Uh, and he will read everything. He will read the dialogue. He will read the narration. He will change his voice You know, now and then when he's doing a different person's part. Uh, but it is one person reading it. Listen to Zero G... And it has full cast and sound effects, and it has a narrator to say the inner parts, to describe sometimes how the main character is feeling, what a location looks like, um, which is similar to that audiobook, but changed a little bit. And then something like Dark One Forgotten, uh, there is nobody just, you know, saying inner thoughts out loud. There is nobody describing the setting. Uh, It is all right there on the page, much more like a classic uh, script would be for radio or TV. What's interesting with Dark One Forgotten, though, is that because it is in the style of a podcast, the the narrator, like the characters within the world are directly addressing the audience. There's a part where it's like, oh, I'm not going to put this part in, or let me let you know what I'm going to do right here, or I'm interviewing this person where they're letting you know what's happening from moment to moment, almost like a narrator, but within the world which I find like a really interesting way of like mashing things up. One of the things that I do for Zombies Run is I've both written the script part where they're just like, runner, you need to go over here. Somebody's attacking you. A zombie's behind you, which is there's no narrator, really. They're just talking to you like you're somebody that they're talking to over uh, over a headset. 
but I also write in-world radio mm-hmm. for Zombies Run where someone is actually doing a radio show within the world. And similarly, they are addressing the audience, but it is a fake audience that we've mm-hmm. fictionalized for the sake of the Zombies Run universe. And it's fun. Each one is a slightly different technique. Yeah, that's so cool. And and so one of the questions that I want to get to in this episode, and I'll just throw it at you, Aaron, is uh, what do those different styles do for you? Why would you choose one over the other? Uh, aside from the constraints of the medium that you're working in, uh, why? when does having a narrator really help you? And when do you prefer to dispense with the narrator altogether? I can't remember if we said this on a podcast or just while talking, <laughs> but at some point we were talking about showing versus telling mm-hmm. and how that changes the pace. And when you're when you have a narrator, it's a more telling medium. You're being told what's going on. And so it is a little bit slightly different paced than when you're let me rephrase when you're when you have a narrator it makes you feel I think more like you're listening to a story and so it feels like you're around a fireside and weirdly unlike in prose that actually slows down the pace I believe it feels like okay we're just gathered around I'm gonna tell you what I'm doing when you don't have a narrator you're within the story yourself you feel like you are a part of the story I think more And for that reason, it feels faster paced and the tension is higher. Yeah, I think of it as immersion versus distance. Thank you. Um, So the more more present uh, a narrator is, usually the more distant you are because you have someone who is describing the things to you, but you are not participating in the scene. Whereas when the action is happening around you, you are in fact participating in the scene because you are at least directly hearing what is happening. So you are... A, a, wit- a direct witness in that case. So in puppet theater, uh, we use show, don't tell for very different reasons uh, because you are literally doing a puppet show, not a puppet tell. And, um, and there, what I'm thinking about is, is that immersion. It's like I, the example that I'll use is I could say there's a clock on the wall, or I could have someone say, Oh, looks like it's nine Oh five now. And one of them has you deeper into the world. So for me, I think about it in terms of immersion versus distance on whether or not I'm going to use an active narrator. Um, the, the other thing is that sometimes that narrator is the most efficient way to change a scene. Yes. Uh, I, I really like that way of thinking about it, the immersion versus distance. I found several times uh, adapting zero-G from, you know, the prose that I wrote into more of a script format, uh, that there were so many times when I was describing how Zero felt or what he was looking at, and I realized, oh, I'm going to have someone reading this. I can just make this dialogue instead. Mm -hmm. And that happened so often, and really that's what was going on. There were moments when it needed to be a narrator doing it, and there are moments when it felt so much better and so much more natural to have the character themselves say it. One of the things that I find when I'm writing for, uh, and I, Aaron, I don't know if you find this too, but when I'm writing for uh, knowing that there's going to be an actor on the other end, um, is that I can have my written dialogue be more ambiguous because I can put a note to them and then, and then trust them to do the thing. Like having a character on the page say, what? Like I can't, I can't do that without adding a lot of context around it 
and extreme numbers of, of punctuation marks in order to get that what, as opposed to what, you know, those are two different things. Mm-hmm. And, and an actor, I can trust usually to do that. On the other hand, if there is a possible way to misinterpret a line, an actor will find it. <laughs> I think it was Margaret Dunlap. I, I, and I apologize if, if I've misremembered who it was. Uh, but she was telling me about a video game that she had been writing dialogue for. And for one particular dialogue tree, she had to come up with five or six options that were all different. And basically, she used the word what, then with some script notes to say, say it in this tone of voice for all five. Yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was Margaret. <laughs> that was Margaret, which I thought was, got paid was for so brilliant. This, got paid for writing the same word yep. six times. <laughs> yep. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to point out is that um, just from our episode title, to narrator or to not narrator, um, you may be thinking of uh, white room stories like uh, like They're Made of Meat is the classic example, where there is no description. It is just dialogue, and, and we call it white room because you have no description of what's going on. All of your cues come from what is in the dialogue. If you take a white room story and move it into the audio realm, suddenly the fact that there are two different actors, two different voice actors doing the voices, uh, gives you more information. If you add sound design in the background, you know, uh, the, the sound of a cafe or the sound of science fiction space, which shouldn't make any noise, <laughs> but for some reason always does, um, you can create you can create something that makes it no longer white room, but the energy, and for me as a writer of comedic, you know, pithy, tight dialogue, uh, the energy remains there. You don't need the dialogue tags that you often have to resort to to say who's speaking. And so I love, I love what an audio drama affords you, which is the ability to do that fast banter and keep all those pieces there so that the energy doesn't get slowed down by a narrator explaining to you what they're doing. I will say, on the other hand, the challenge is that physical description when you don't have a narrator means that you need to be sometimes coming up with reasons that in dialogue, your characters will be saying where they are when they're both there and they know that they're there. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, we all yes. know we're in this room, but like, it's like, wow, this chair is comfortable. You know, it's a little bit more of those like location aware Isn't this dialogue coffee shop lines. so nice? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like this coffee shop, I never liked that. Well, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that that's really fun to figure out how to make it work. It's like, the same challenge people have with info dumping in that you want to make it seem really natural to the scene that you're writing without fully disrupting what's happening between the characters. Yes. I want to talk about that more when we come back from the break. Hey, everyone. We want to introduce you to our new producer, Emma Reynolds. And Emma is going to tell you about our thing of the week. The thing of the week is the Earbuds Podcast Collective, which is a weekly newsletter that is sent out. It is coordinated by one of my friends and mentors in the audio sphere, Ariel, who's amazing, but it is curated by a different person each week. And it's just a great way to get your hands on, or I suppose your ears on, 
all of the different audio content that is out there for inspiration for you. All right, so we're back. And I want to talk more about this white room concept. Uh, in particular, I one thing I said at the beginning of this year, because I've been doing so much audio and, and now getting back into more traditional novels, is that I had initially kind of fallen off the wagon and forgotten how to write scene descriptions. <laughs> and so the first draft of the actual Dark One novel that I turned in um, was basically people talking to each other uh, as if they were in an audio drama with <laughs> no one was moving around doing actions. There was, there was no description in between the, the lines of dialogue to break up what was happening. Uh, there was very little scenic description of where they were. And that's because I, my brain had gotten so embedded into this audio space where that kind of stuff wasn't a part of the script. And that really kind of hit home for me the differences that arise when you start breaking these formats, when you start jumping from one to another, because there are things you can do in one that work really well, but don't work at all when you do them in a different format. One of the things that I enjoy playing with is that, that comes out of audio drama is using this this idea that Aaron was talking about beforehand of um, the interaction with the world to describe what is going on through dialogue. So in The Spare Man, I don't describe actually that much of what Gimlet, the little dog, does. Frequently, the way I am keeping her alive in the scene is through dialogue. You know, that, that she's like, uh, when someone is having a conversation, it's like, hang on, is this dog allowed to have people food? And that tells you, everything that's going on. But part of what that does for me is that it creates space for the audience. And I think anytime that you have the narrator there describing things in a linear way, that removes some of the audience space to imagine the world. And one of the things that I think is fun is thinking about deliberately creating that space for the audience. When you're coming back to prose or when you're in the audio realm is thinking, where where do I want to allow and encourage the audience to do some lift for me? Because that is going to make the story more immediate for them because it's going to be, they're going to be active participants in the story. I really love that idea. And sort of pairing that with what Aaron was talking about in terms of show, don't tell, one of the things about balancing the telling and the showing is about trust, mm -hmm. right? And when you make space for the audience, what you're also doing is saying, I'm trusting you to fill that space. I'm trusting you to meet me over here, right? And so making sure that that on-ramp is very easy for them, it's a very easy path for them to follow to meet you where you are, I think is really important and one of the key skills in that, right? So you can have that little moment of here's what Gimlet is doing as, and that's filled in, it's backfilled by us when we hear that and we then fill in what the dog has been doing for the last like 30 seconds, and it's such a delightful way for you as the creator to take a moment and say, I see you, audience, and you are participating in this story, too, and this is the thing we collaborate on. And I think that's a beautiful thing that audio drama can do in a way that prose fiction can do, and, but it's not as natural of a fit. And so I love hearing ways that you pull that in. There's a, there's a technical tool, um, a technical tool, a, a way of thinking about the absence of the narrator that uh, I find really useful. And the 
uh, Dark One Forgotten when she says, um, I'm recording this in my dorm room. We don't get much of a description, really any description of the dorm room. It is assumed that all of us have in our head a picture of a dorm room. If at any point in that story there'd been action in the dorm room where Sophie and uh, name main character is Christina, Christina, uh, where Sophie and Christina uh, decide to go out the back door, I've never been in a dorm that had a back door. But if that's a piece of blocking that you're planning on having in your story, you have to do a little more than just the shorthand when you give us that description. You have to do just a little bit more lifting so that the blocking that happens later works. And I describe this as a technical tool. It's something that you have to keep in mind so that you know which pieces you can just let the audience imagine on their own and which pieces you have to specify. Yeah, and and I think it's important that we kind of draw a line on this. The the title of this episode is to narrator or not to narrator. And I don't want you to think that that is that that is a decision that has to be made from project to project. It can be made scene to scene or even sentence to sentence. There are times within a completely normal traditional novel where you might decide to pull that narrator way back and let dialogue or action, you know, do the lifting in, in rather than having the narrator. And there are times, even in an audio thing, where you might want to have a narrator step in and, and do more. One thing I did want to bring up, though, if you are making the decision of, do I want to do this as a traditional prose project or a single voice-narrated audiobook versus a full cast production, from the business side, there's an important decision that you will be making there, which is that the rights situation is very different for an audiobook versus a full cast production. When you start getting into the full production, you are now walking into dramatization territory, which is what film and TV producers will want if they're going to adapt your work. So one thing to keep in mind is if somebody shows up and says, we want to do a full cast production, that's a totally exciting, cool thing to do. Be intentional about what you're doing and realizing that if you give up those rights, that may interfere with your ability to do a film or TV adaptation down the line. Now, I know in a lot of cases, it's still worth just doing the thing because the thing that's in front of you and is exciting. But it's one of those things that I want to make sure is clear as we're talking about this, that these are different from audiobooks, not just in craft and practice, but in a business sense, you're making a different choice by participating in that or not. There's some blurry space in there. If you have like two or three narrators, I can't remember exactly the distinctions, but there's sort of three categories in there. So it's, there's it's some different, one you of probably the, know this better than I do. Actually. One of the, the big uh, demarkers is whether or not you have changed it from the original form. So you can have a full cast with almost, a, I'm not sure that there's a cap on the number of, char- of narrators that can be in there, um, as long as you don't change any of the words. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, with uh, Zero G, they did full cast audio, uh, but we retained film rights. And I don't know exactly how Sarah worked that out, but we did work that out. It is possible to do yeah. it. Yeah. Um, you just As have an to, aside, just, this is one of those cases, fair listener, where having an agent <laughs> is very helpful. Because exactly. they can look up these exact questions for you 
So you don't have to. Problem and this is kind of an edge case, right? You can tell from the way I'm talking yeah. about that I don't have this immediately to mind. As a, This is not a thing I've dealt with a bunch. It's a thing I've dealt with once or twice. So, you know, there's conversations to be had. And there's gray area. There's blurriness. There's ways to negotiate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's true, actually, that my definition on that may uh, also be linked to uh, whether or not is uh, narration versus acting right. as far as... The uh, union is concerned. Yeah, that's a good exactly. point too. Exactly right, and then the union start come starts to come in. That's a whole other set of questions that need to be answered as you do it. So, anyways, this all just <laughs> me saying that the decision of narrator or not to narrator is a craft one. It is also a business one. Make sure you're talking to your publishing team if you have one. Make sure you're make, being intentional about the choices that you're making as you go into those choices. It can also be an experimental one. Which is to say that you actually can also just see what happens if you take something that you've written um, just as a regular narrator, full prose. And what would happen if you took the narrator out or tried it in an audio format and see what you learn? Because one thing that I think you learn a lot about in audio is which details you're going to want to have your narrator or your characters mention. Because there, I think, is a a limit, especially in a more fully acted production to how much people want to listen to a narrator before they're like, get back to the, get back to the drama. And so you learn like maybe this longer passage that I might be able to put on the page is going to come off much differently. Like when I'm listening to it, especially if it's not a audiobook format listening, but more of a full cast. Yeah. One of the, one of the elements that gives me fits when I'm trying to write these pure audio dramas, for example, with the Moonbreaker video game, um, is fight scenes. Doing those in something that has no narrator gets so hard. Uh, and you you can actually go and listen to the Moonbreaker episodes and see me doing these kind of experiments that Aaron's talking about, saying, well, what happens if I just do a straight fight scene and say, okay, Foley guy, Lots of laser noises for like 20 seconds, and then the story will keep going. Uh, And then other episodes are much more intentional, like I'm going to block this entire thing out uh, so that I know exactly what's happening. And the only things that are going to happen in the fight scene are ones that I think we can depict with clarity with pure audio and no narration. Uh, It is very hard to make a fight scene intelligible without a narrator describing what is happening and no visuals to let you see it. I'm just reminded of the time when Mike Magnola on a panel said, oh yeah, I really trust this artist. In one of the scripts, I said, Hellboy fights an army of skeletons for six pages. (laughs) 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 Oh boy. Wow. Yeah. And I think this comes back to why I think narrator or not is such a cool tool because I was thinking about this fight scene and I'm like, if you want your audience member to feel like, oh my gosh, I'm in the middle of the battle. I don't know what is happening. Attacks are coming from everywhere. Then having no narrator is great because you're in that feeling of like, I'm just hearing swords and screaming and dying. But if you want them to actually be able to figure out who stabbed who with the what you call it, then maybe you need the narrator Mm -hmm. because the point is for them to understand it, not to sort of just be absorbed by it. Yeah, and and those are, you know, that can become a really valuable tool if you think of it in those ways. Like, what am I going to use this lack of narrator to produce a specific effect rather than just, oh boy, I don't have a narrator, this is going to suck. You use that to great (laughs) effect in Dark One Forgotten, right? So 
at the end, when she is captured by the serial killer, we don't exactly know what happens to her. We know that she experiences some stuff that's pretty bad, and she has to go to the hospital afterwards. It's unclear what he has done to her, what injuries she has sustained. And I think letting my brain fill that in is more horrifying than if you described, oh, he hit her, she fell down the stairs, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it becomes a very upsetting sequence of events that was, you know, like very tense and difficult to listen to in, in a good way, I think, um, by me having to fill in those details. Making yeah. space for the audience. Uh, yeah, exactly. I, I am very glad that it had that effect on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I wrote that scene, I got on, this is back when I was still on Twitter, and I got on and said, I just wrote a scene so brutal, Brandon Sanderson will regret ever collaborating with me. Um, and it, we had to tone it down a little, but that, yeah, that's That was a tough it scene. It was, yeah. I was like, I am in a horror movie right now, you know what I mean? And, uh, but that's the intended effect, I think. That's what mm-hmm. you were trying to produce, and forcing me to produce all the worst horror movies I've ever seen in my brain, I think was a great shortcut for you to get the effect that you wanted. Awesome. Almost makes you complicit in the violence itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for I making me feel Dan worse. I think <laughs> Dan Wells being complicit is a note to end on. <laughs> so now it's time for your homework. I want you to do something which is actually the way I started writing prose. I want you to take something that you've already written, and I want you to adapt it for audio. When I started writing, I tried going straight to script, and it was a disaster. So I started writing a short story and then converting it into audio because I wanted to write audio. You, my friends, are going to take something you've already written. As Aaron suggested, you're going to be stripping out narration. You're going to be figuring out what sound effects are. Try to convert it for audio. In the next episode of Writing Excuses, we explore writing as an act of hospitality and reader agency. Until then, you're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. For this episode, your hosts were Mary Robinette Kowal, Dong Wan Song, Aaron Roberts, Dan Wells, and Howard Taylor. This episode was engineered by Marshall Carr Jr., mastered by Alex Jackson, and produced by Emma Reynolds. For more information, visit writingexcuses.com. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards.